Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And we are absolutely delighted that yeah. you are here with us today. Yes, on this uh, beautiful, cold and snowy day in it, Michigan. It is a cold day out here, but we are around the microphone. We've got a hot cup of coffee and we've got God's word. Amen to that. We are ready to go. It has been an action-packed journey through the Bible those last week or so. I mean, so much action happening. There is a whole lot going on, but I'm loving how you're seeing more and more connections, reading that New Testament and seeing that it was talked about and set up in Old Testament times. I love seeing the fulfillment of things and the tie-ins and... I love how this version reading through the Bible does bounce around a little bit because it really does help paint the picture mm -hmm. how all of these books really work together and just how God is in all of these little details. Yes, what I have loved about the message is the ability it gives me to get such a good mental picture. Uh, growing up, we could only use King James Version Bible. And I can tell you, because you struggle just trying to read that kind of proper old King's English, I wouldn't get these visuals. And I'm like, now I'm reading in the message and I'm like, it's plain as day for me to see this in my mind and it just cements it even more firmly. So yeah. not saying that this should, you know, take the place of anything, but use multiple translations. Make sure you're understanding and seeing it fully because, man, it's amazing. Like my favorite go-to translation is the ESV, the English Standard Version. I grew up reading the NIV. Love it. I've never really, to be honest with you, I've never really cared for the King James Version because felt like it was written for that time. And the words that were used in, in that translation were for that time. You don't see anybody on the street today walking around saying the word beseech or right. saying thee or thy, or it just doesn't right. happen. So when you're now reading a book as important as the Bible and you start throwing in all these other words that kind of muddy up someone's thinking, especially if they're not familiar with those words, it becomes a barrier almost. I've had people, when I was doing my jail time, people that would come to me and say, I don't even know what I'm reading here. Right. Like it was such a barrier to them. Like they were like, can you just please explain this? And, right. and I'd give them my other version. What I don't like about that is it people that hold fast that that's the one you have to read. It forces people to have to go and sit under somebody. You have to look to another man mm. to explain it to you. Jesus never intended that. If that's what Jesus wanted, he would have gathered up all the people that were like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and sent them out to proclaim it. So the letter of the law and the speeches, like not the common man's, that's not, Jesus did it specifically and intentionally the other way. He wanted the message brought to everyone around the world mm. in common language so it was understood. Yep. The disciples were common people. They did not speak the king's language. And back to the King James, that was done as a political statement. Nothing else other than it was politics that caused that translation to happen. But for some reason, it became the be-all, end-all. And I think 
that's problematic when you look at it that way. So the message version comparatively is a paraphrase of the Bible. Mm -hmm. If you're just joining along, it's just rewritten in a little different language. And we hope that this inspires you to dig a little deeper on your journey through the message. Yes. Anything that steers you to Jesus and gets you to dig a little deeper is a great thing. In my so we'll start today with a prayer and then Heidi will get going in Matthew. So Father God, thanks so much for just bringing your word to us this morning. Make it clear, make it understandable, and make it real inside of our lives. Yeah. Let us feel the words that you have written on this paper and let us just internalize them and live them out. Let these words become part of our walk. I pray that prayer protection over everybody listening right now. I pray that you go out into this day joyful, filled with a desire to just pour that type of joy and love into other people around you. I just imagine a world mm. that that just fills and it spreads. I don't see how anybody could see that as a negative thing. I just imagine a place of people loving and caring and coming alongside their brothers and sisters all over the world. And what an amazing, amazing thing that would be. And Father God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be Jesus to people. Because sometimes they'll never get an opportunity to hear these words. They'll never get an opportunity to go to church, but they will have an opportunity to interact with us. Yes. And so just work through us so that we can be the best representation possible and give us the strength, courage, and wisdom to do that. I ask this all in your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So here we are in Matthew. What's going on? Oh, Matthew 9. Who needs a doctor? Ooh, I need a doctor. Doctor, doctor. Okay, anyways, nobody needs to. There's a reason you don't hear me on the radio as a singer. There's so. a reason we're not a singing podcast. So let's find out who needs a doctor. Matthew 9, starting at verse 1. Back in the boat, Jesus and the disciples recrossed the sea to Jesus' hometown. They were hardly out of the boat when some men carried a paraplegic on a stretcher and set him down in front of them. Jesus, impressed by their bold belief, said to the paraplegic, Cheer up, son, I forgive your sins. Some religion scholars whispered, What? That's blasphemy. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why this gossipy whispering? Which do you think is simpler? To say, I forgive your sins or... Get up and walk. Well, just so it's clear that I'm the son of man and authorized to do either or both. At this, he turned to the paraplegic and said, Get up, take your bed and go home. And the man did it. The crowd was awestruck, amazed, and pleased that God had authorized Jesus to work among them this way. Passing along, Jesus saw a man at his work collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Jesus said, come along with me. Matthew stood up and followed him. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cozy with crooks and misfits? I love that. He had people like me and you at the table. Yeah, yep, we were there. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy 
for the sick. Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Lord Jesus, I love you so much. My goodness. So not only was he there with all these misfits and crooks and misreputables, he was eating in the house of a tax collector, one of the most hated people in the Jewish community. Not just eating there, that tax collector was his newest disciple, a tax collector, the hated. And then he brought all the other hated people in, and there he is, happy as can be, eating with them. And the religious people come and point fingers. Can't be around them. Can't sit with them. Don't have them. You went to their house. What? I love, I'm sorry. I just no. love this so, so, so much. And it just makes me excited because we love that. We love. And we have often said to people, it doesn't matter where, like we have groups that will come to our house and we let people know right away. It doesn't matter where you're at. We just want you here. We're not pushy or preachy. We're just happy that you're here. Yes. Hospitality, love, and grace. And just giving someone a safe space to let down their guard a little bit and be themselves. Yes. It's yes. huge for people. Jesus didn't go after the broken and hurting so he could condemn them. There's nothing like knowing you are loved and accepted exactly where you're in that you yep. don't have to become something first. So I'll be reading now out of Acts, and it's chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. As always, the text that we're reading out of will be down below in the comments. This one is titled, Barnabas, Saul, and Dr. Know-It-All. <laughs> I love the... I just love Eugene... Oh, his writing is amazing. The congregation in Antioch was blessed with a number of prophet, preachers, and teachers. Barnabas, Simon, nicknamed Niger, Lucius the Cyrenian, Manian, an advisor to the ruler Herod, and Saul. One day as they were worshiping God, they were also fasting as they waited for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke. Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work that I have called them to do. So they commissioned them. In that circle of intensity and obedience, of fasting and praying, they laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Sent off on their new assignment by the Holy Spirit, Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia and caught a ship for Cyprus. The first thing they did when they put in at Salamis was to preach God's word in the Jewish meeting places. They had John along to help out as needed. They traveled the length of the island, and at Paphos they came upon a Jewish wizard who had worked himself into the confidence of the governor, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man not easily taken in by charlatans. The wizard's name was Bar-Jesus. He was as crooked as a corkscrew. I love that visual. <laughs> the governor invited Barnabas and Saul in, wanting to hear God's word firsthand from them. The doctor know-it-all, that's the wizard's name in plain English, oh. stirred up a ruckus, trying to divert the governor from becoming a believer. But Saul, or Paul, full of the Holy Spirit and looking him straight in the eye, said, You bag of wind, you parody of a devil, why you stay up nights inventing schemes to cheat people out of God. 
But now you've come up against God himself, and your game is up. You're about to go blind. No sunlight for you for a good long stretch. He was plunged immediately into a shadowy mist and stumbled around, begging people to take his hand and show him the way. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer, full of enthusiasm over what they were saying about the master. Wow, uh, there, it just struck me, the fact that he was struck blind. And I think it's such an analogy. He wasn't just visually blind. He was heart blind, mind blind, soul blind. And that Blindness was manifesting was that. itself. Yeah. And that's what he was struck with. You are blind to what is right in front of you. There's a quick little pause here about the first couple verses of chapter 13. So it says, I have two practical observations to make on this passage describing the church's life. One is that not all of the believers became missionaries. The second observation is that some of them did become missionaries. There may be some in our churches who will be ready in the not too distant future to leave home for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the rest of us who are unable to go ourselves must be ready to send them, pray for them, and sacrifice for them, uh, making it possible for them mm -mm. to go. Take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do, Acts 13, 2. That's one group of people. Fasting and praying, they laid their hands on their heads and sent them off in verse 3. That's the second group of people. We must be in one of two groups yes. if we are to be part of Christ's church. Either the ones who are willing to be set apart and sent like Barnabas and Saul, or the group who, after serious prayer, will lay hands on them and send them off. What group are you part of? Oh, I really love that you stopped to read that because it took me right to the heart of the matter. And Jesus said, go and tell people. How many people so badly want to go? Like, send me, send me. But they're poor. They're not in a position to go. Where is the church? Where is the sacrificing and making possible? That should be the driving force in a church. It's what it is all about. And I think that we as churches, we need to wake up. We've been sleeping. It is time to wake up and truly, truly follow what Jesus said to do. This Talking about this early church and what happened, we're supposed to be doing that. Yes. I'll just leave that right there. Yes. And now... Well, my favorite part. That's right. Everybody's favorite part of the segment. We're going to rewind back to the Old Testament. And Heidi's going to pick up for us here with Psalm number 21 today. Yes. I have loved the Psalms. All right. Grab your Kleenex. I'll do my best. Psalm 21. Your strength, God, is the king's strength. Helped. He's hollering hosannas. You gave him exactly what he wanted. You didn't hold back. You filled his arms with gifts. You gave him a right royal welcome. He wanted a good life. You gave it to him and then made it a long life as a bonus. You lifted him high and bright as a cumulus cloud, then dressed him in rainbow colors. You pile blessings on him. You make him glad when you smile. Is it any wonder the king loves God? 
that he's sticking with the best, with a fistful of enemies in one hand and a fistful of haters in the other, you radiate with such brilliance that they cringe as before a furnace. Now the furnace swallows them whole, the fire eats them alive. You purge the earth of their progeny, you wipe the slate clean. All their evil schemes, the plots they cook up, fizzled. Everyone, you sent them packing. They couldn't face you. So your strength, God, so no one can miss it. We are out singing the good news. Another great psalm from David. <laughs> God is just, he is on the move. Oh, He is on the move. And we're going to end today, as always, in Genesis. We're going to see what these crazy families are up to now. Work real hard to reserve judgment. I know I am a horribly flawed human being, and I'm glad they didn't write about me. So. Well, amen to that. I'm glad my story isn't completely in the Bible. I know. For Can you imagine? So here we are. We're going to be picking up here in Genesis chapter 46 and 47. So Israel set out on the journey with everything that he owned. He arrived at Beersheba and worshipped, offering sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. God spoke to Israel in a vision that night. Jacob, Jacob. Yes, he said, I'm listening. God said, I am the God of your father. Don't be afraid of going down to Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation there. I'll go with you down to Egypt. I'll also bring you back here. And when you die, Joseph will be with you. With his own hand, he'll close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba. Israel's sons loaded their father and their little ones and their wives on the wagons Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They arrived in Egypt with the livestock and the wealth that they had accumulated in Canaan. Jacob brought everyone in his family with him, sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, everyone. These are the names of the Israelites, Jacob and his descendants, who went to Egypt. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. Reuben's sons were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. Simeon's sons, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. Levi's sons were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Judah's sons, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. Ur and Onan had already died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamel. Issachar's sons were Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron. Zebulun's sons were Sered, Elon, and Jahalil. These are the sons that Leah born to Jacob in Paddan Aram. There was also his daughter Dinah. Altogether, sons and daughters, they numbered 33. I find it hard to believe that he only had one daughter. It's just daughters were never mentioned, but Dinah is mentioned more than once in the mm. Bible. And I find it interesting that she gets included in that line. No mention of other daughters, and I'm sure there were, but Dinah gets mentioned. Dinah gets mentioned. Gad's sons were Zephon, Haggai, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Erodai, and Aureli. Asher's sons were Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Bariah. Also their sister Sirah and Bariah's sons Heber and Malkiel. These are the children of Zilpah, the maid that Laban gave to his daughter Leah, 
bore to Jacob sixteen of them. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, were Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph was the father of two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, from his marriage to Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. They were born to him in Egypt. Benjamin's sons were Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gira, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Muppim, Hupim, and Ard. I'm, I'm, again, thank you for your grace. I appreciate you. These are the children born to Jacob through Rachel, 14. Dan's son, Husham, Naphtali's sons were Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shillam. These are the children born to Jacob through Bilhah, the maid that Laban had given to his daughter Rachel, seven of them. Summing up, all who went down to Egypt with Jacob, his own children, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66. Counting in the two sons born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family who ended up in Egypt numbered 70. 66 is how many books there are in the Bible, and 33 is how old Jesus was. I don't know, just I'm a weird numbers guy. And 70 has significance also. It does. So, what a huge, huge family. Yes. So then Jacob sent Judah on ahead to get directions to Goshen from Joseph. Get out that GPS. <laughs> when they got to Goshen, now don't take directions from Moses, whatever you do. You mind her a little bit. When they got to Goshen, Joseph gave orders for his chariot and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. The moment Joseph saw him, he threw himself on his neck and wept. He wept a long time. Israel said to Joseph, I'm ready to die. I've looked into your face. You are indeed alive. A little dramatic there again, Israel. Uh, uh, uh. Joseph then spoke to his brothers and his father's family. I'll go and tell Pharaoh. My brothers and my father's family, all of whom lived in Canaan, have come to live with me. The men are shepherds. They've always made their living by raising livestock, and they have brought their flocks and herds with them, along with everything else they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks what kind of work you do, tell him your servants have always kept livestock for as long as we can remember, we and our parents also. That way he'll let you stay apart in the area in Goshen, for Egyptians look down on anyone who is a shepherd. Ooh. Chapter 47 Joseph went to Pharaoh and told him, My father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything that they own have come from Canaan. Right now they are in Goshen. He had taken five of his brothers with him and introduced them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked them, What kind of work do you do? Your servants are shepherds, the same as our fathers were. We have come to this country to find a new place to live. There is no pasture for our flocks in Canaan. The famine has been very bad there. Please, would you let your servants settle in the region of Goshen? Pharaoh looked at Joseph. So, your father and brothers have arrived. A reunion. Egypt welcomes them. Settle your father and brothers on the choicest land. Yes, give them Goshen. And if you know any among them that are especially good at their work, put them in charge of my own livestock. Wow. Next, Joseph brought his father Jacob in and introduced him to Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and Pharaoh asked Jacob, How old are you? Jacob answered Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130, and short and hard life, and not nearly as long as my ancestors were given. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and left. 
Joseph settled his father and brothers in Egypt, made them proud owners of choice land. It was the region of Ramses that is in Goshen, just as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph took good care of them, his father and brothers, and all of his father's family, right down to the smallest baby. He made sure they had plenty of everything. There's a little pause right here, just a couple sentences. It says, why did God want Jacob and his family to move to Egypt, a place where the inhabitants wouldn't even eat with them, much less intermarry with them? What was God up to here? What insight does this give you into God's plan for your life? Starting back up again here, the time eventually came when there was no food anywhere. The famine was very bad. Egypt and Canaan alike were devastated by the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan to pay for the distribution of food. He banked the money in Pharaoh's palace. When the money from Egypt and Canaan had run out, the Egyptians came to Joseph. Food. Give us food. Are you going to watch us die right in front of you? The money is all gone. Joseph said, bring your livestock. I'll trade you food for livestock since your money's run out. So they brought Joseph their livestock. He traded them food for their horses, sheep, cattle, and donkeys. He got them through that year in exchange for all of their livestock. Mm. When that year was over, the next year rolled around and they were back saying, Master, it's no secret to you that we're broke. Our money is gone and we've traded you all of our livestock. We have nothing left to barter with but our bodies and our farms. What use are our bodies and our land if we stand here and starve to death right in front of you? Trade us food for our bodies and our land. We'll be slaves to Pharaoh and give up our land. All we ask is seed for survival, just enough to live on and keep the farms alive. So Joseph bought up all the farms in Egypt for Pharaoh. Every Egyptian sold his land. Oh, the famine man. was that bad. Wow. That's how Pharaoh ended up owning all of the land and the people ended up slaves. Joseph reduced the people to slavery from one end of Egypt to the other. That's yeah, just interesting. He would be in yes. charge of them becoming slaves. Mm -hmm. Joseph made an exception for the priests. He didn't buy their land because they received a fixed salary from Pharaoh and were able to live off of that salary so they didn't need to sell their land. Joseph then announced to the people, I guess I would change my career path then. I mean, if priests were making it and didn't have to sell their That's land, to sound I, like would, good, I would go into seminary. I'd encourage you to do so. <laughs> Joseph then announced to the people, here's how things stand. I've bought you and your land for Pharaoh. In exchange, I'm giving you seed so that you can plant the ground. When the crops are harvested, you must give a fifth to Pharaoh and keep four-fifths for yourself. For seed for yourselves and your families, you're going to be able to feed your children. They said, you have saved our lives, Master. We are grateful and glad to be slaves to Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Joseph decreed a land law in Egypt that is still in effect. A fifth goes to Pharaoh. Only the priest lands were not owned by Pharaoh. And so Israel settled down in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property and flourished. They became a large company of people. Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years. In all, he lived 147 years. He wasn't quite ready to die yet. Not quite. 17. I'm glad that Israel had time 
with Joseph. Joseph. Yes. Absolutely. I'm so glad that Israel had 17 years with Joseph to kind of get to know him a little bit, just make up for lost time. I'm sure right. that that was an important time for him. And so Israel settled down in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property and flourished. They became a large company of people. Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years. In all, he lived 147 years. When the time came for Israel to die, he called his son Joseph and said, Do me this favor. Put your hand under my thigh and sign that you're loyal and true to me to the end. Don't bury me in Egypt. When I lie down with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me alongside of them. I will, he said. I'll do what you've asked. Israel said, Promise me. And Joseph promised. Israel bowed his head in submission and gratitude from his bed. And oh. that's the end of chapter 47. Thank you, God, for that last sentence. I've had such an opinion about him, but look what that last sentence said. He bowed his head in submission and gratitude, gratitude from his bed. Maybe he did, and sometimes it may take us a while. We often say jokingly about some people, uh, and we've said it about ourselves many times, but uh, for instance, as I was going through some of my stuff with addiction and everything else in life, I just, I was a cake that wasn't quite done baking yet. Exactly. It's, uh, you know how the middle is still a yeah. it's so close. The ingredients were all there. Yes. Everything was done right. The only thing it needs is a little time. Just a little time. Just a little time. And some of us need a little bit more time than others. I mean, man, it took me until my late 30s to really come around and even accept that I wanted Jesus to be a part of my life. And it wasn't even until even some years after that, being released from prison and really figuring, what do I want that to look like right. in my life? Right. And I don't think I'm there at all. I think God is still finding little ways to take things out of my life and put him in place of those things. He's done a lot of it. So I don't think my cake is done baking yet, but we're getting there. And I like the path that I'm on much more than running around crazy all night, jamming needles in my arm. Right. Where was that leading me? To nothing. I know. I'm so thankful you're here. And I think all of our cakes are going to be done with God decorates it in heaven. Amen. Yes. And friends, this is the journey through the message. And we are so happy to have you along. So thanks for joining with us again today. If you like this episode, maybe share it with a friend. If you've been mm -hmm. blessed by this, share it with somebody. Maybe mention this. We would be happy to go on that journey with them as well. And if we ever get something incorrect, please let us know. And it's okay to be gentle and tell me that I was wrong. I'll listen to you. So, And it's okay to have conversations Absolutely. about the Bible because people's personal experiences do color how the words come off of the page sometimes. So we are always happy to hear how pieces of the Bible may interpreted differently or how yes yeah do you know what that's called theology mm. how many of you think theology is talking in big fancy words nobody understands that's not what that means it literally means talking about god and that's what we're doing so this is theology 101 yes <laughs>
And friends, we're going to end it here today, so we're not taking up any more of your precious time, but we appreciate you and just the choice that you made to join us today, and we hope that you were blessed by this. Look forward to having you with next time. Amen. Thanks again.